same is true of us. God doesn't just fix us, He makes us new. And so if you would uh, follow along as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse uh, 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. In verse 3, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would go and be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as we look at your word. God, as we talk about you and we talk about what you've called us to, Lord, help us to, to hear from you. Help me to speak on your behalf this morning, Lord, as we open up your word. Help us to have clear minds and open hearts and, and hear from you and obey your word and follow after you in all that we do. And Lord, help us to love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of y'all are campers? You like to go camping? Go ahead and raise your hand if you like to camp. Now, now keep your hand raised if you like to go camping in a tent. There's a few, right? I mean, there's very few. Uh, and there's a reason for that. I, I remember growing up, and I, I loved going camping. I loved going camping in a tent. I, I remember sleeping on maybe a, a Walmart air mattress. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the $1.96 Walmart air mattress. And it goes, goes flat in the middle of the night, and you wake up. And when you're a kid, that's not really that big a deal. I don't know if I could handle that now. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I may be, as my brother calls me, a city slicker. Like, I don't know if I, if I could handle that. And I, I don't know if I could take my kids and have them sleep in a tent because I know they're going to track in mud and dirt and everything's going to be nasty and wet and everything. And the truth is, even if you do have fun, when you go and you sleep in a tent, um, you're, you're really glad to come home. Right? I mean, for those of you who take your, your campers, you're not really going camping. You're just taking your mobile home with you wherever you go. Right? I mean, but anyway, but it, so it's not as big of a deal. But, but when you go in a tent, you're ready to get out of that tent and get back in your own bed. You're ready to get out of that tent and get somewhere where when you wake up, it doesn't feel like you've been sleeping on a rock where you can you know, get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and go to the fridge if you want to. There's just so many benefits to being home because a tent is temporary by nature. It just is. It's not something that's meant to last. Paul the Apostle here says that this is true of our bodies. He says that we have what, what we'd call old bodies. We have bodies that are getting older, right, that are wearing out, that are temporary. We, we have tents. But he says that one day we'll have an eternal home. One day we'll no longer have the temporary, but we'll have the eternal. Right now we have, we have a body that is decaying, a body that is aging, a body that's wearing out. But one day we'll finally have a body that lasts forever. He says as long as we're in this body, we're going to be groaning. We're going to be, <laughs> and not necessarily the way you think of groaning, not like when you, you know, get down on the floor and you try to get back up. Not that kind of groaning but the kind of groaning where you're looking forward to what's coming next. That the aging of our bodies as we get older, you guys know this to be true, that the more worn out your body gets, the more you look forward to getting a new one, right? I mean, you just do. You're like, man, I can't wait to get out of this and get me a new model. I want to get one that actually lasts. Because you're looking forward to what's coming next. Paul says that our bodies that we have in store for us are such that it causes us in the present body in the present home to groan with anticipation for what's to come 
Sort of like, you know, you know how kids, when you get closer to Christmas time, they begin to groan with anticipation. They see uh, presents under the tree. They, they want to know what's in those presents, and they're groaning, please let me open it. They're, they're shaking it. They're, they're wanting to open those presents because they want to know what's next. Paul, Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 8 when he says that the, the whole of creation is groaning for the revealing of the glory of the sons of God. Someone has, has paraphrased that to say, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. And, and I would say here that's the same thing we see. We see that we are on tiptoe looking forward to what's next, looking forward to the body that we have in store for us. Because here, guys, you know we're reminded every day of death. We're reminded every day of sickness and of pain and of hurt Everything hurts sometimes. Everywhere you look, you see things going wrong. You see, see things not going the way they should go. Things are not right. But Paul says one day, this death will be swallowed up by life. Have you, have you ever wondered why it is that it's so hard to be satisfied? It's so hard to feel like, okay, I've arrived. I've made it. I've got everything I need. I've never met anybody like that. I, I've met folks who say, you know, I've got pretty much everything I need. But there's always just one more thing, right? I, that get, continue to give me my health. Continue to give me this. Continue to give me that. We're always wanting that one more thing to make us happy. The reason why we have that here is because here is not meant to last. When we put our hope and our trust in the things here, we'll never be satisfied. The things here are temporary. In fact, in some ways, the, the very way we are shaped is meant to make us groan for what is to come. And so when we come to verse 5, Paul says, Listen, now God is going to give us a home made not with hands, so that our death, that which is dying, may be swallowed up by life. We're looking forward to an eternal home, eternally satisfying home. Then we come to verse 5 and see that this home is sure and secure. He says, He who has prepared us, for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The guarantee here is a lot like the word we would think of when we think of an engagement ring. It's the same sort of idea. It's a, we're not married yet, but we're going to be, and here's my promise that we will be. I remember, uh, I think I've shared with you before, I gave Crystal uh, her engagement ring uh, back in the day when we were young folks. Uh, in fact, we were in the young adult Sunday school class. We, we still are, but, you know, we're not as... Anyway, but anyway, so we were... But I gave her an engagement ring, and I said, uh, Crystal, that ring's a little big. We probably need to get it sized. And she said, no, nah, don't worry about it. It'll work. She didn't want to take it off. She didn't want to wait on them to size it. And so she didn't have it sized. Well, we went... Uh, to church one night and uh, the, the youth were sliding down a make, uh, makeshift slip and slide down off the side of the hill in front of the church and uh, she was like, I want to do that too and so she decided to slide down the slip and slide that's full of soap and everything else, right? She gets to the bottom of the hill and she comes back up and she's crying. I'm like, did you get hurt? And she's like, no, um, I lost my ring. I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm going to be paying on that thing for another couple of years. You just have to wait, right? But, but we proceeded to, to look for it. We weren't able to find. We were finally able to find it. And, and the the point is, is that 
unlike us who tend to lose things and tend to not find things, God is completely different than that. The Holy Spirit is never going to leave us no matter, no matter what. And so it's not as if we can lose this guarantee. It's not as if we can lose uh, this guarantee that he has given us because it says he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Guys, God is not a liar. God does not give us something and then remove it from us. He has given us his spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us to remind us that one day we won't have a, a temporary body anymore. We'll have an eternal body. Because we have this hope this morning that, that we are, when we pass from here, we'll be given a new body, an eternal home that God has prepared for us. And so we have a hope that is secure, that is safe, that is what we, we so desire. And then we come to verse 6. And so he, he continues, and he says, because of this, because of this guarantee we have that can't be taken away, verse 6 says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. While we're here, we're separated from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we don't see what's to come. We just are believing that it is to come. We haven't actually experienced it yet. And he says again, though, in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. He says, listen, we have a safe and a secure guarantee that one day we'll be with Christ, and we won't be there until we leave this body. But, soon as, we, but, but as we leave this body, we will be at home with the Lord, because to not be here is to be there. I'm looking forward to the new home that God has in store for me. I'm looking forward to this hope that I, I will get to live forever with Him, that I get to move in with the King of the universe. Here, our, our homes, our, our physical homes, they, they go away, right? I mean, a tornado can come and take them away. They can burn down. The bank can come and get them. When we finally get there, it'll be forever. And it's not even so much about there as it is about Him. It, notice Paul doesn't talk about how amazing heaven is and heaven's going to be, though that is true. He says, I, I don't want to be here because I want to be with him. Finally, I'll get to see him face to face. Here, we walk by faith. We walk by belief. We walk by trust. There, we're actually going to get to see him with our eyes. Real physical bodies of seeing the Savior face to face. He says, that's the hope I have. And because I know that one day I'm going to see him, whether I'm there or whether I'm here, I'm going to walk to please him. I'm going to walk to serve him. I'm going to walk to uh, obey him. And so since God has offered us this new life and since one day we will see him, we come to verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. What Paul says here is that not only do we have a new body and a new home, we have a new fear. Where we once feared man, now we fear God. One commentator says this, he says, there every child of God will give full account of what he has done in the body, the tent of this life. And all will be judged with unfailing scrutiny as our works and hearts are evaluated to determine not our destiny. We know where we're headed. We're headed to spend eternity with God but to evaluate our works. Paul described this in 1 Corinthians when he says this. He says, uh, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, 
wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. God will one day reveal everything that you have done and how you've done it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, there will come a day when we stand before the the God of the universe. We'll stand before Jesus Christ and, and he'll say, so what did you do with the love that I gave you? What did you do with the time I gave you? What did you do with the, the talent I gave you? What did you do with, with the life that I gave you? How did you use it? The one who was beaten on your behalf. The one that was forsaken by the Father for you. One day he will look at me and say, John, How did you use what I gave you? Can you tell me about February 5th when you did this? Paul says, I have a new fear. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. There's going to be coming a day when I stand before my Savior. And I'm going to let that fear, that respect control me. Because used to we may have feared man. It's nothing when you think about fearing God. So verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know what it is to fear the one who we're going to stand in front of. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience, to your heart. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We're not trying to prove ourselves to you but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can take heart in us, so that you can boast in us, so that you can understand those who take pride in what is seen, or so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If, we're out, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. You see, Paul's point here is that when we come to know Christ, all the fears in our life, all the things that we are afraid of, all the fears in this world are replaced with one new fear. God. We don't have to worry about anybody else. We know what it's like to be controlled by fear, don't we? Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure of this. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to testify to it, but I'm pretty sure that when my wife sees a bug unexpectedly, a spider unexpectedly, I'm pretty sure she can jump so high she could dunk. Like I, I'm pretty sure her vertical elevates. You guys know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are scared of mice, like you end up on top of the table and you're like, how did I get here in one move? Like how did this happen? Your fear controls you. It takes over and it causes you to do things you don't even remember. God, Paul says here, I have a new fear. The fear that I have is of the Lord. I used to fear man, but I don't fear man anymore. We read in God's Word, we read things like this. Uh, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can stay His hand? He sits about the circle of the earth. Heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool. You see, when you serve the One, when the One who runs the universe is your God and is your Father, who are you going to fear? Who do you have to worry about? Only Him. He's it. You see, before we come to know Christ, we're tempted to be motivated by what people think about us. We're tempted to be motivated by fear of man. We're afraid of what they're going to say. We're afraid of what they're going to think. We're afraid we're not going to fit in, not be popular. 
We're afraid we're not going to be successful in their eyes and not have what they have. And so that fear of man begins to control us and dictate what we do and what we don't do. It begins to cause us uh, to do what they do so that we can fit in and we allow our fear of them to decide what we do when all the time we should be serving the one who made all things. Paul says, I don't fear, man. I fear the Lord. He says, you may think I'm out of my mind because of the things I do. If I'm out of my mind, it's because I'm serving Him. It's because I'm following Him. And God does call you to do some crazy things sometimes, doesn't He? And people are like, they're, they're out of their mind. I really don't care what you think. I'm serving God. <laughs> I mean, I'm serving the one who made all things. We no longer care about what others think. You notice he says, it's so that you can tell the folks who only look at the outside and not the heart what's up. So that you can tell them who we really are instead of what it looks like we are. Those people who only care about appearances, he says, that, here's how you can defend us to them. Tell them what our, what's in our heart. Tell them to quit looking just at outward appearances because God... Uh, I'm be honest with you guys. It, this is what the Bible tells us over and over again. God doesn't look at what we look at. He, he doesn't care what people think. He cares what's in, in your heart. And if you judge yourself and you allow yourself to be judged by what other people think, you're in trouble, for better or worse. If everybody loves you, you still might be in trouble because you can put on a front. If everyone hates you, it doesn't necessarily mean you are in trouble. Maybe everybody else is wrong. The question is, are you following the Lord? Are you serving Him? Nobody knows that but you. He says, I don't care if they say I don't look like an apostle. I don't care if they, they think that I, I do weird stuff. I'm going to serve Him because I know who He is. And I know what He's called me to do. I really don't care what anybody else thinks. Guys, this morning, are you serving the Lord? Are you following Him? Are you allowing fear of Him to control you and guide you? Or are you having the fear of man? I, have you ever thought about how silly it is that we're scared of mice? They're like this big, right? I mean, you can squish them, right? No, no big deal. Unless they run off your pants leg, and then it's a whole different ballgame, right? At that point, everybody's scared of mice. But, but, but that's the same, just the, the craziness of, why, uh, of us fearing man when we're serving the one who made all things, the one who sits above the circle of the earth. What motivates you this morning? Serving Him, loving Him, fear of Him, or fear of man. And so the, the fear of God gives us a new direction. But then Paul follows this up by talking about God's love for us. In verse 14, he says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says, I have a new boss. It used to be me and selfishness, but now it's Christ's love. He's not controlled by the fear of man, but instead the, the fear of God. And he's not controlled by the love of himself. He's controlled by the love of Christ. This word compels here is the idea of forces, this idea of constraints, of hymns in and makes you do something. He says, God's love, Christ's love for me, makes me do the stuff that I do. It motivates me to do what I do. It motivates me to give of my life, to give of everything I am to serve others. See, because when you come to understand that Jesus died in your place and that, that he uh, died for you, that changes everything. Paul says that when he died, I died as far as to my own selfish, self-centered desires. I died to this world and all this world has to offer. 
He died in my place so that I can live for Him. He died in my place so that I can serve others in His name. Paul says, I've not gotten over the fact that the God of the universe died for me. I've not gotten over the fact that the Son of God shed His blood for me. The fact that while I was a rebel spitting in His face, He was shedding His blood for me. He says, this love compels me. This love controls me. This love propels me to go out and do whatever it takes to let other people know who Jesus is and to do what He has called me to do. And when we get this, all of a sudden we have a new boss. We have a new master. We have a new person running the show. And it's no longer our own selfish desires. It's no longer what we want. It's what He wants. And so he says, because of what Jesus has done, I don't live for me, I live for him. I, I have a new master. And when we have this new master, when you look at verse 16, we learn that we begin to look at people differently. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to how we see them, according to what we want from them. We no longer uh, regard or think of anyone according to the flesh, even though we once thought, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says, where we used to see people as objects to be used, now we see them as people to be served. Where we used to see people as hopeless, now we see them as, as having the opportunity to live forever. Where we used to see folks as a burden, we see their, their problems as a burden on our lives, we see them now as an opportunity to show the love that was shown us. It changes your perspective on the folks in your life because of the love that, that Christ has for you and the love that Christ, you have for Christ. I think, I, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Friday night, our, our, the nature of our, our uh, house changed somewhat. Zoe woke up throwing up again. I know it seems like I talk about that a lot, but she did. And um, anyway, so she was really sick, and so all of a sudden everything changed in our home. All of a sudden we have a new boss in our home. We have someone who is calling the shots, and it, and it is Zoe. Like, I mean, when she says, Dad, I need you to sit behind me, you know, I, while I get ready to, to throw up. But, you know, I sit behind her. When she says, Dad, will you hold my cup for me so I can get a drink? I hold her cup for her. When she says, will you hold this cracker while I nibble on it? I hold the cracker. I don't mean I'm going to do it because I love her. My love constrains me. It compels me to do that. And, and that's nothing compared to what my wife, I mean, you know, Crystal, she has been nonstop taking care of our little girl because she, she loves her. She's not thought of herself one time. She's thought of Zoe, and her love for Zoe causes her to do crazy things like stay up all night taking care of a sick child. Why does she do that? Because she loves her. And Paul says that when we get it, when we understand the love that Christ has for us, and when we begin to love Him, then nothing, nothing is going to change that, and nothing is going to stand in our way of serving Him and of serving others. We're going to begin to look at people as opportunities to, to share the love of Christ. Rather than just seeing with our eyes, we're going to begin to see with our hearts. Rather than just seeing people as uh, objects, we're going to see them as folks who need the gospel. And we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to do whatever it takes so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can hear of the love of Christ for them, the love that was shown to us. I wonder this morning, does the love of Christ control you? Maybe this morning you need a new boss. Maybe this morning the reason you're having such a hard time serving others and loving others is you just it hasn't got a hold of you how much that Jesus loves you and has shown you his love. 
Maybe you need to return to the gospel this morning. Maybe the reason folks get on your nerves so much is because you're looking at them according to the flesh instead of through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And saying, man, look at how much love Jesus showed me. I can show this person a little bit of patience or a lot of patience depending on the person, right? And then you come to verse 17. Listen to the love that God has shown us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All things old has become new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. For our sake, us Sinners, those who have broken faith with God. God took him who had never done anything wrong and he punished him as if he had done everything wrong that we have done. He took him who had never done anything against God's will. He took him and punished him as if he was us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, for this purpose, that we might become the righteousness of God, the, the, the right standing with God, that we might have a perfect record with God. Not a flawed record, not a, a slut clean record. It's not that just Jesus wipes away our sins. No, it's that he replaces our sins with his righteousness. And it's what some people have called the great exchange. We give him our sin, we ask for his forgiveness, we follow him, and in return he gives us his perfect record with the Father. And so that when God looks at us, he does not see our sinfulness. He sees his son's perfect obedience, which is what is required to get into heaven. That's why it has to be something that God did. That's why it is so amazing that God would show us this love. But, but it doesn't even stop there, guys. I, I want you to think about what Paul just said. He said he has made us his ambassador. When we think of the, the word ambassador here, the way that they worked it in Paul's day was like this. In Rome, Rome was really good about going in and conquering countries around them. Like they were just a powerhouse. They did whatever they wanted to do. They didn't ask. They just did. Well, they would go in and they would conquer a nation and then they would send back a governor, not an elected official, someone to run the show at, basically and do whatever they wanted to do in that nation. So Rome would send a governor over them and put them over them. Well, these nations would be like, man, we need Caesar to be our friend. We need Caesar to take care of us. We need Caesar to lessen our burdens. We need Caesar to give us favors. So they would send what they called ambassadors to beg for Caesar to show them kindness, to beg for Caesar to be their friend. In fact, we have some writings of Caesar Augustus where he is bragging about the fact that all these nations are groveling at his feet, begging to be his friend that all these nations have sent ambassadors to him begging to be his friend. And Paul says we are the ambassadors of God. The difference between human rulers and God is God doesn't wait for us to come to him. He sends ambassadors to us, begging, pleading with us to receive his forgiveness. 
to receive his friendship, to receive fellowship with him. The king of the universe humiliates himself to the point that he comes and he begs for our friendship through his son Jesus. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the entire scripture. We do everything we can to break his heart and he does everything he can to receive us back. Why would you not want this God this morning? Why would you not want a relationship with him? This God who offers you a new home, a new body, offers you a, a way to, to um, never fear anyone but him alone. I wonder this morning, guys, I wonder if we've forgotten what we have to look forward to. I wonder if we've forgotten that here is temporary, that here is not eternal, that here is not to be uh, uh, felt like this is forever. I wonder if we're like, you ever go to a restaurant that serves rolls or, or chips and salsa, and by the time you get your meal, you're full? It's like, man, I filled up on the appetizer, right? Like, now I have this meal, what do I do with it? I guess I got lunch tomorrow. I think sometimes that's what we do with the stuff of this world. We fill up on the appetizer, the stuff that's just meant to be enjoyed, but it's not meant to be, uh, uh, you know, filled up on. It's not meant to be obsessed over. It's just meant to be something that God gives us to bless us while we're here. It's not actually the prize. It's not actually the goal. I'm afraid we as believers many times are, are munching down on the bread before the, the main course has even arrived. We're acting like there's nothing better to come. We're acting like there's nothing better after this. And so we hang on with everything we have to our life here. We hang on with everything we have to our possessions here, with our time here, with our talents here, instead of giving them all back to the Lord. And saying, God, what you have for me in the future is a million times better than anything I could get today. What we need to look at our perspective and ask ourselves, are we living in light of eternity? Are we trying to live in light of today? And so we, we live with this eternal treasure waiting on us instead of seeking satisfaction here. I wonder this morning, guys, I wonder if you've gotten off track. I wonder if you've gotten things twisted around and you've begun to try and find satisfaction here only to find disappointment. If you have, God comes to you and he pleads with you, come back to me. Find in me mercy and love and grace. Find forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've gotten the wrong boss on the throne the wrong person running the show. Maybe it's the fear of man. Maybe it's the, the love of yourself. Maybe you need to say, God, you know what? You're the king of the universe and you're worth more than all this other stuff I'm chasing. Or maybe this morning, guys, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted on him. You've never believed in him. He says, come and receive my righteousness. Bring me your sins and I'll give you a perfect stand, standing with God. What is it that God is calling you to do? If you would... I bow your heads and I'm going to pray for us and after I pray we're going to have a time of invitation. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would be with us during this time of invitation, this time of decision. God, that we would respond to you in whatever it is you've called us to. God, whatever it is that you've called us to be, whatever it is you've called us to do, God, help us to obey you in that and help us to do that. Help us to see in you our, our perfect treasure. God, help us to see in you the, the love that you've shown us and help us to show that love to those around us this week. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.